Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. It's that time of night, you can't stay up tight. So come and join the people that are feeling all right here on Old Overnight America. Overnight America. Yeah, all right. One last hour. So we're going to try to make it count tonight. It's been one of those weird nights, I guess. And we do what we can on weird nights. Because why not be weird? A couple of uh, COVID things for you. You probably saw this, but President Biden not too happy that states like Texas and Mississippi are lifting their COVID restrictions. And the way that he lays it out, let me let me play this for you. See if you catch it. I think it's a big mistake. Look, I hope everybody's realized by now these masks make a difference. We are on the cusp of being able to fundamentally change the nature of this disease because of the way in which we're able to get vaccines in people's arms. We've been able to move that all the way up to the end of May to have enough for every American to get every adult American to get a shot. And the last thing, the last thing we need is the Neanderthal thinking that in the meantime, everything's fine. Take off your mask. Forget it. It's still. Wait, hold on a second. Are you saying here for a minute? That if you decide not to wear a mask in public or whatever it may be, because the restrictions no longer there, you're in the thunder of thrall. I can, why am I, can I not say that right now? And the last thing, the last thing we need is the Neanderthal thinking that. Why can't I say that word right now? You ever have that when you just, you know, you're saying it wrong as it's coming out and you're like, why can't I say that? In word? the meantime, everything's fine. Take off your mask. Forget it. It still matters. I carry a card, but I don't have it. I put it on my desk. As of last, as of yesterday, we had lost 511,874 Americans. We're going to lose thousands more. This will not occur. We'll not have everybody vaccinated until sometime in the summer. We have the vaccine to do it. Getting a shot in someone's arm and getting the second shot. You're going to take time. And it's critical, 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 critical that they follow the science, wash your hands, hot water, do it frequently, wear a mask and stay socially distanced. Yeah. See, when you talk about 
the science of this and to say you're a Neanderthal if you don't wear a mask. This is this is what they do. They try to demean you for making a decision like that, number one. And it's just about a lot of times control. How many times has the uh, the different restrictions or at least what the science said changed over the past year as they understood more about this? I, I don't think that's great, but now imagine if uh, Donald Trump was president and he went out there and said that anyone that is uh, not wearing a mask or anyone that is wearing a mask is a pansy. You know, imagine if he said that. <laughs> what, what do you think the reaction would be for the media? Uh, I think that they would go a little bit crazy, wouldn't they? So let's follow the science, by the way. Maybe... President Biden will be more than happy to follow the science here. So China says that in order to fight COVID, when they start to put a swab out in order to get the most accurate results, you will have to be anal swabs in and out mandatory for foreigners. The science says that COVID-19 swabs are mandatory for all foreigners traveling in. And the most accurate way would be through anal swabs. This is not a joke. This is not even meant to get a little snicker out of you. This is what the country will be doing. They've stopped performing exams on their citizens when they enter the country because the swabs have con caused mental anguish. But they're following the science, after all. So they need to do this for the foreigners that are coming in to the country because that's what the science dictates. Um, some Japanese reported that at the embassy, they were even offering uh, or at least uh, mandating that those that are at the embassy. We're talking about people that should be representing different countries that are coming into China shouldn't have to be. Uh, put into the same, I think even here in the United States, there were some different members that were traveling overseas as a diplomat. And then they said they were told that this is what's going to happen to them. And then China came back and said, oh, no, 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 we're not going to we're not going to do that to uh, the diplomats. But sure enough, if you're anyone else traveling inside the country right now, this is what you'll be subject to. I, I want to um, just say real quick, sometimes we can have talks about these sort of things. But here's here's the deal. You can't just say that either you're with me or you are for all of the deaths that have been occurred leading up into where we are today. So if you're President Biden and you're out there and you're saying either you agree with me 100 percent or you're you're celebrating all of the people who have died during covid is just not right, because now you're saying you can't even question what the government says now that the. Biden administration is in there. You can't question anything. One word that comes out of his mouth without being complicit in celebratory of all of the different lives that were lost during this covid pandemic. That's the argument that they set up when he says things like this. It's I think a lot of people look past it, but this is something that a lot of the Democrats cheer. They love this idea that they have someone in office that is just wanting full control over this. And when they say Follow the science. They don't really mean that. They mean follow the Democratic Party. And that's where you lose a lot of people. And that's where you find Republicans when they are asked in a survey, hey, um, are you planning on taking the vaccine? A lot of them look at this nonsense that's brought up on the government level and they say, no, I think I'm going to sit this out for a while. And then they put these surveys out and they wonder, why won't Republicans or why won't conservatives or why won't whatever uh, take this vaccine at the same rate that Democrats take it as? And they look at this sort of thing. And then all of a sudden, Joe Biden is out there calling you names. You're, you're a Neanderthal for doing that. That's what he's trying to pull on you. And it's nonsense. It's 
it's too much. And it's funny, too, that he is having a hard time getting in front of the press and even taking questions from the press because he realizes that these tough questions and being cornered into giving an answer and at least an opinion on most of these things are going to make him look terrible. So he's going to continue to hide like he did most of the election. The strategy of hiding in the basement as long as he could in Delaware um, seems to be working because he's not answering questions and not looking uh, foolish that way. I, um, I, you know, I, I see these things and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, just enough, enough. I thought you said you're going to be above this. I thought you're going to move past all of this stuff. But look at that. He's right in line with exactly uh, going against what he's preaching. This is Overnight America KMOX. St. Louis's Morning News. Total Information AM. Weekday mornings at 5 on KMOX and KMOX.com. Looking at some of the government statistics, it's been a while since I've looked at the unemployment rate, but yeah, it continues to be higher than pre-pandemic, but definitely lower than where it was at its peak just last year afterwards when a lot of the uh, government forced shutdowns started to come in, we got close to 15%. Now, some worried that it could go to 20 or 30%, but luckily it never got to that point. And I think in January, the unemployment rate was 6.3% when Joe Biden took office on January 20th. And when we start to get the numbers, and I think the February numbers are going to come out on Friday of this week, so we'll see which way it's tracking. A lot of people are pointing at that and saying that when this next stimulus package is passed, that needs to be taken into consideration of what is being spent here. What needs to be taken out are all the different things that really don't fight COVID. And as a lot of Republicans point out in this $1.9 trillion package, more than 90% of it doesn't directly fight COVID. It's a lot of auxiliary things that you want to give money for the arts and you want to build a something, a build a bridge here. Or let's uh give money to Planned Parenthood or let's, uh, well, I don't know if it's exactly Planned Parenthood, family services that includes abortions. So um, options like that. What we find is that most people are just upset with the way things are. They want to see more places opening up, more people being able to make a living. I think they're looking at Texas and Mississippi right now. And I think if you're a business owner in Texas, you're thinking to yourself, this is great. Um, I'm able to safely bring people into my business and I'll continue to do that. And that's the way we're going to operate. And that's just the way it goes. Now, hopefully I'll be able to recover some of the things that were lost over the past year, but even a freer state like Texas and one that didn't ramp up all the way, you're finding a lot of states will refuse to do so. Some of the more super liberal states like California would be a great example, or New York City, where a lot of the people that opened or had businesses no longer want to take the risk of opening up a shop inside of a large metropolitan city that just won't allow you to uh, do business the way you see fit, let alone have people uh, be willing to walk in when you don't have a occupancy rate that's high enough for you to actually make a profit off of. And you see all the empty storefronts and you thought, New York City, there's always a huge demand for businesses and stores. And, oh, it's, you know, the biggest city in the country. And, well, no, I if you were to uh, walk down New York in the last year, you'd notice a lot of empty buildings. People that said, I don't think I'm going to sign that lease. Uh, it's too much of a risk. Maybe I'll wait. Wait till things are back to normal. And that has killed a lot of different economies. Look at the, some of the things we're even arguing here in the city of St. Louis when it comes to how we pay our taxes. If you weren't actually working in the city and you were remotely 
working outside of the city, meaning that all of the money that you were earning didn't technically uh, come that way. Maybe you don't have to pay those city taxes. Well, you can and you have to, but people are arguing you shouldn't, and they may take that to court. So part of uh, where we sit today is it's a very finicky thing, the economy. It's very finicky. Uh, Some places they want you to stay home and some places they don't. Some places they're fine with you not working and just trying to supplement it with government money and other places want to do everything they can to try to get you back in. So, for example, here's a story from CBS. Some Senate Democrats are urging Joe Biden to overhaul the nation's approach at handling the stimulus package. And what they're saying is it needs to be an ongoing payment, not just a one-time $1,400. They're saying that instead of just, you know, rounds of stimulus checks, what they need to do is provide a reoccurring check. And 10 lawmakers have uh, put their name on it and said, let's do it that way, as opposed to, you know, the $1.9 trillion here, because you know you're going to go back and want to spend more money here and there and jam it full of your pet projects. It, you know, it, to me, I look at this and look at any politician that is taking advantage of this and trying to find ways to uh, benefit themselves from it, throw money in places where it, it doesn't belong. All of those people taking advantage of our country right now. I want you to take notes of every single one of them that is cheering for all of this waste that's inside of this uh, package and really, uh, really question their motivations to serve this country after something like this when they're purposely trying to jam all of this waste through. Um, so what they're saying is instead of ongoing stimulus, just basically universal basic income, that's what they want to try to push and use this as almost like a pilot program across the United States to see if it's something that would be beneficial as if we had all the money in the world to be able to afford something like this. We got all kinds of issues right now. And I can tell you that trying to force the hand of universal basic income it's something I'm sure a lot of people would uh, enjoy humoring at the time, but it's not realistic or something that we should really seriously consider. There's one Republican out of Kansas. His name is Senator Roger Marshall. Not a fan of this relief bill. And what I don't want to see happen is to punish hardworking Kansans who we feel like we're trying, that we are being forced to bail out blue states who have overreacted and totally shut down their economies and shut down their schools. Look, overall, this package is so full of pork it smells like bacon and now it's dripping grease it's dripping grease how do you like that quote and that's going to be good for his uh, donor list now won't it overreacted and totally shut down their economies and shut down their schools look overall this package is so full of pork it smells like bacon and now it's dripping grease it's dripping grease and that grease are democrat print projects like speaker pelosi's underground railroad project in the silicon valley and Senator Schumer's bridge to nowhere from his backyard into Canada, which have been bailed out by the parliamentarian now. But there's still lots of bad news. Radical Democrats still want to bail out mismanaged states at the expense of hardworking taxpayers with dollars that are being distributed in an unfair manner. For instance, my home state. You know, this is good. Money being distributed in an unfair manner. I don't think you can argue that. I, I think that when the Democrats had the power, they funneled money to Democrat areas, not just to Americans. They said, we're going to get this to, uh, we're going to try to find ways for this to benefit our areas first and foremost. And I was reading a commentary on the Hill, uh, one of the different opinion pieces. It says, Biden's trumped up rescue plan is a solution looking for a problem. 
This is from John Tatum, opinion contributor. It came out a few days ago, and some things have changed since then. But he does mention that um, in a federal extension of state unemployment benefits to the self-employed and others who are never eligible for unemployment to begin with would be able to add it on. Now, if you're a federal worker, they're even allowing you to sit back and relax for, what, up to $21,000 of additional income that you'd be able to use, um, not, not a, in addition to what your salary is, but you'd be able to use that as a claim and you'd be able to recover that and sit from home. And it basically would be an added benefit to what you already have and saying you have a kid back at home that needs a special attention. Thus, as a federal employee, they'll be able to give you extra money for that and they'll just uh, pay for you to not work in order to do this. And that's something that's only extended to federal workers. I covered this on the show a while ago, and it's now starting to draw a lot of, um, a lot of attention and rightfully so, but the commentary continues. It says, uh, and towards the end anticipated path of the future COVID costs was well funded in the early legislation. It's giving economic recovery, renewed strength and the unemployment rate was trying to rebound and do all of this, the GDP level in the quarter. This is much faster than forecasted earlier in the year, even without Congress passing the largely unnecessary American rescue plan, meaning things are recovering even before this $1.9 trillion. Is what you're doing right now actually going to contribute and help the way that you anticipate it? Or is this more or less designed for you to funnel money to the places that you know wouldn't get funding otherwise or wouldn't get consideration otherwise because there wouldn't be support for it unless you tried to put it inside of a much larger package? And it is pretty despicable that they're taking advantage of the American people here and needs to be pointing for what it is. The opinion piece says the plan is a boondoggle looking for an already addressed problem. Good for John Tatum, part of the Institute for Applied Economics. We're going to take a look at your weather coming up right after the break, and then we're going to join guest Kenneth James Moore, an author of a book called Pieces of Wood. It's Overnight America, KMOX. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Cardinal Spring Training is underway in Jupiter, Florida. And KMOX's Mike Claiborne is covering it all. Here his daily reports, mornings and afternoons, and on Cardinals Open Live. Sponsored in part by T.R. Hughes Homes. On your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, KMOX. Welcome back. It's Overnight America. Thanks for spending this time with us. Uh, do I really need to thank you this much? Ah, it just shows you how grateful I am for you. Aw. He's the author of a book called Pieces of Wood, and inside of it, it's historically accurate, but it does tell a story, which he's here to uh, talk about tonight. Kenneth James Wood, thanks for coming on to KMOX. 
Hi, Ryan. It's Kenneth James Moore, but please call me Ken. Moore. Thank you. Like I said, <laughs> Kenneth James Wood, mixing it up with the title of your book, Pieces of Wood. Okay, Kenneth James Moore. Uh, thank you for spending the next half hour with us. So I know you've done a lot of research into World War II, and I think people don't really start the history of Japan until after World War II, after the bombings um, from the United States. But during that time of World War II, there were a lot of terrible crimes being committed by the imperial Japanese rulers leading up to that, that I think a lot of people don't know unless they're historians. So things like this are important to document, to look back in and, and learn as part of our history. So I'm glad that you decided to use this as part of the backdrop of your book to try to tell the story. Well, thank you for that. And that's exactly the case. It's, uh, you know, I'm a baby boomer. I grew up in the fifties and sixties and, you know, we were inundated with the, the Nazis and German warfare, et cetera. And but every once in a while, maybe a peek at the Imperial Japanese, but the Imperial Jap Japanese were far and exceed far exceeded the uh, the Nazis just geographically or geopolitically speaking, the, the Nazis made it to, uh, you know, Stalingrad and to the beaches of Normandy. Uh, the Imperial Japanese basically swept half of the globe and had planted the. Uh, themselves in, in Alaska and had plans to uh, attack uh, uh, the United States uh, at um, in San Diego. So it's, uh, mm. that was called the. Uh, 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 it'll come to me in a second. I'm sorry, it just eluded me. But the uh, yeah, it was yeah, it was, a major, it was a major part. Yeah, of I was going to say uh, yeah, World War Two. When you go back and study it, there's so much fascination. With World War II, sure. and normally when you talk about history, that seems to be the most popular thing people gravitate towards. They always want to go back and look at the actions of Nazi Germany. But during the same years in World War II, there's a lot of other things going on, and Japan being one of them. I mean, they had internment camps, and they were doing some pretty terrible atrocities to different people that they were uh, taking as part of prisoners of war. They were invading and going into other parts of the world, too. Obviously, their story doesn't start with the bombing of Pearl Harbor. It starts way before that. However, we don't ever talk about that side of it and the terrible things that Japan was doing leading up to that moment. Well, that's exactly the case, and that's that's the reason for the book. But the it is an uh, international crime thriller. But I I have inserted all the, the those horrific events that uh, uh, that the Imperial Japanese undertook, and it's uh, essentially from 1937 through 1945, uh, they the Imperial Japanese killed mercilessly. 20 million Chinese civilians. And then mm. from there, they went to Korea, Philippines, and again, all the way over to Alaska and um, uh, down, our, down, our, down on our um, Pacific coastline. So um, it, uh, what do it you was... Think, uh, yeah, like, when you go back and look at that, why do you think we ignore that? Is it just that we're so hyper-focused on Hitler and the Nazis that we, we can only focus on one thing at a time? Um, because I, I know a lot of historians know about this and people that have since <laughs> learned about World War II, but generally speaking, I don't think the broad amount of people today realize the, the true horrific things that went on with Japan prior to the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Uh, yeah, the, uh, I did, it just dawned on me. It's called Cherry Blossoms at Night. It was a, uh, 
a germ, uh, a germ attempt that was going to be pulled off on, um, on, on in San Diego, but uh, it uh, the war ended and therefore they backed down. But uh, uh, this this was of epic proportion, and yeah, again the Nazis got so far, but these people dominated half of the globe. Mm. It's something that uh, whenever you see the different maps, you see the spread of Nazi Germany as it starts to invade countries. You never see any of the uh, the maps that focus on the Japan side of things. So let's talk about it in pieces of wood. Sure. Uh, you write about the atrocities performed against women by the imperial Japanese rulers there. Uh, so that part of it, um, why that as a part of the storyline? Well, from the Japanese standpoint, it was imperial Japanese standpoint. It was prag- it was pragmatic. Uh, they could kill the men on on the battlefield, but uh, they wanted to conquer other parts of the world. I mean, they are just a tiny little island. Um, they have uh, very little natural resources. A uh, good eighty percent of Japan proper uh, is uh, essentially uninhabitable. Um, it, uh, it's not applicable for you know, residential or commercial use, and therefore they needed to get off that little piece of land and take over other, pe- other countries. Well, if they're doing that and they're fighting against the men on the battlefield, who's going to put up the resistance when they you know, walk on somebody else's soil? It'd be the women and the, uh, the women uh, who produce the, uh, their offspring, and they wanted to eliminate that. It, again, it was from their standpoint pragmatic. It was it's barbaric beyond anything conceivable by Western man, but made sense to them, and they they did that. Uh, yeah, I I wonder for your ability to tell this story. Why did you decide to go the route of you know using this as a you know historical fiction as in it's accurate that the crimes and things that you talk about the reference points but you decide to write it in a way that's more storytelling that that follows um that doesn't follow it like a history book would so why did you decide to go one route as opposed to just going straight and writing a, a history book it took me a year to make that decision, frankly. Um, it, I ruminated on it considerably, but I, it needed to be digestible. It needed to be something that people could wrap their heads around. How many people actually pick up a textbook or would go as to the point where I went to, to go to the United Nations, to go to the Harvard Law Reviews, uh, Hastings Law Review? These people sat at the Z in 19... 19- 95, the Diep being the Japanese parliament, as uh, men who served in World War II were brought before the parliament uh, on, at the bequest of the United Nations, and they confessed, or they uh, confessed might be a bit, uh, a bit much, but they, um, they redressed their World War II issues. And to find that stuff... You're not just going to go over and pull a, uh, a book off the shelf. You have to go and dig deep. And what, in my world, I was poli sci major, international relations studies, um, and I was taught how to go and find those what we call first generation, uh, something that was recorded at a specific time and not 
pass through, um, well, pass through novels, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, ha- was the actual substance of the um, of the crimes. And I highlight uh, the United Nations and the Hastings Law Review, Harvard Law Review, the 1990s, mid-1990s when they were, uh, when this took place. And uh, uh, that's in the back of the novel, by the way. So I, yeah. basically it is a novel per se, but I highlighted a uh, considerable number of the hard evidence. Right. Citations of where you came across this just so people can go back and find about it yeah. it's, uh, themselves. So in uh, the book Pieces of Wood and author Kenneth James Moore joining us here on Overnight America, when you decided to write this, let me just make sure, is this set in the late 1970s where um, the kids are starting to learn more about their father's involvement in World War II? I think that that, that played a, a role, but uh, uh, I, I happened upon um, this woman who was the very first FBI female allowed to carry a gun on her hip. She was really cool, and I, I met her inadvertently. And it in, uh, it impressed upon me um, numerous aspects, but essentially that uh, mm-hmm. uh, this, this was something. Of, uh, I'm sorry, I I, I don't think I just lost track of, your, of the question. No, no, that's sorry. fine. Where did you actually meet her? Uh, I actually met her in Washington D.C. In Virginia. Oh, cool. How old is she now? I'm not even sure if she's alive, to be honest with you. Oh, I see. So this is some time ago you met her. It wasn't just recently. Um, yeah, it was in the 70s. Right. Okay, so this goes back. Oh, how long have you been sitting on this idea, then, if this this actual meeting <laughs> you had goes back to the 70s? Well, it actually goes back much further than that, because when I was eight years old, I promised my mom that I would find what happened to her youngest brother, my 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 uncle Billy, who disappeared, who quote vanished without a trace unquote, on March twenty fourth, nineteen forty five. Well, in the process of doing that, uh, we came across we my my associate and I came across these ovens, which is edified in the novel, and uh, uh, <laughs> so it, studying the uh, imperial Japanese. It's been something I've essentially done all my life, you know, all my yeah. adult life. I found that a lot of times when you talk to veterans from World War II, and it's so difficult now because so many of them are now past, but in the in sure. one that you, you talk to family members that said, you know, I had a uncle, I had a dad, anything that may have served, and then they find out things after their passing they had no idea because they never talked about it. They never shared their story. Uh, maybe they just didn't want to. Maybe it, it just wasn't a comfort thing. Maybe they wanted to leave it behind, the, the things that they witnessed, and they didn't want to revisit it for their own mental health. But it's like that. It's hard to find those stories because so little of it has been documented on a personal level. I mean, on a grand scale, we have historians that look at the events, but on an individual level for members of our own family, it's very difficult to track these things. Well, that's exactly the case, Ryan, and... Uh... Uh, it, uh, I, I kind of hold uh, a degree of of, uh, of contempt. To, uh, I'm using that word carefully, but 
so many, I talked to so many uh, veterans over the years and uh, received their, their, their understanding of things, but it's just it because I have some degree of relationship with them. They were more forthcoming to me, but I had so many run-ins with family members who were very upset with me because they thought I was taking advantage of of dad or or, or even mom wow. in some cases. But uh, uh, when I was able to sit with them and and kind of get a, a grasp because their kid can't really get a grasp of what dad did. But I did because I had the knowledge and you know, the academic background to uh, per, to pursue a reasonable conversation with them. And I, I was able to get a lot out of it. But it was very yeah. hard because, as you indicated, it's, it's uh, you know, they don't really want to remember. They don't want to have to relive. But if you dig down deep enough with them, they will be forthcoming, and, it, and it's it's difficult. So I do find a bit of contempt with some of them because they really need to tell their story, and that's what kind of what this is about. The pieces of wood tells the story that is otherwise would not be told. I mean, there's just frankly, uh, if I may just continue to elaborate a bit. Um, we, we, there's no room under the rug anymore to to hide atrocities to for mankind to feel that oh we we can't share this with the world. By God, it's got to be shared. Everything has to be pursued and it has to be transparent. We have to see what happened in the past so it doesn't happen again. And you know, right. history does repeat. No, I, th- you are very right about that. So pieces of wood is the name of your book, and if people wanted to find it, what's the best place to look? www.piecesofwood.net Perfect. And Kenneth James Moore, do you mind holding on after the break? We'll talk more. No, I'd be happy to. Thank you. Do a search for him in Pieces of Wood uh, on the horrific atrocities uh, performed during World War II by Japan. We're going to continue to look at that story right after the break on Overnight America KMOX. This is Overnight America, sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michaelsflooringoutlet.com on KMOX. He's the author of Pieces of Wood, which you can find online. Kenneth James Moore, thank you for coming on to KMOX. Hey, my pleasure, Brian. Thank you very much for having me, sir. So a lot of this is focusing on Japan, but do you look at all the United States' involvement in World War II as part of this book? Do I look for U.S. involvement? In I'm sorry, one more time, please. Right. So uh, mostly I know that uh, you're, you're, you're discovering things as part of this book. They're uncovering things about family members as part of the narrative of this book, and you're using this as uh, a way to bring out the, the history of World War II, in particular when it comes to things that happen with Japan rule. I'm wondering if the book is primarily focused on that, or do you also look at some of the involvement of the United States during World War II? Is that part of the narrative of your book? In terms of, of war crimes, the United States did not really participate oh, in not per- grand. Okay. In, not in not grand- particularly about war crimes, just in general, just on the historical standpoint, is, is there certain things that you bring up about the United States, or is this solely focused on that region of Japan and what they were doing during that time? Well, I like to think the book is actually focused on violence against women. I mean, that's really the, the, 
the uh, the, the overlying theme, if you will, and uh, mm-hmm. violence against women. Uh, obviously, it's been going on since you know man walked the earth, but uh, I think it reached uh, its apex uh, in by way of Imperial Japan in the 20th century in modern times, and I think it's uh, uh, something that ha- ha- violence against women is something that's disturbed me for quite some time. And when it, when I was looking for my uncle, uh, my uncle's aircraft, we were looking through the Mariana Archipelago, uh, and we heard rumors of a of a uh, a B twenty nine, which was the same uh, aircraft my uncle was flying, at the top of a uh, an inactive volcano. So we went looking for it, and um, I actually crawled into. Uh, a refractory oven. Uh, these ovens were built in 1931, uh, prior to World War II, obviously, uh, to rid of to rid the uh, to rid the world of anyone who wasn't Japanese. The Japanese mm. they weren't really really willing to compromise. They didn't want anybody else on the earth. If you weren't Japanese, you had to be eliminated, and that's what these refractory ovens were. When I crawled into one, I actually thought it was the belly of a B-29. Uh, it turned out to be something quite the opposite, and that's where we discovered this uh, this, this plaque that said there's, there were 5,000 uh, people destroyed five, and uh, in these ovens, and then I had a... Uh, uh, an interview with a gentleman from Chicago who was a Marine captain at the time and was the, uh, the man the, who came to the ovens the day after uh, a horrific uh, number of people were, uh, I don't have to use the term barbecue there, and uh, he said that for what he saw, they were mostly women. And oh, it, wow. it's, descri- it's described in the novel, and... Uh, he uh, he made a point of. Well, let's, go ahead. I was going to say, let's make sure people know where they can find this in your work. So, piecesofwood.net is that the best place for people right. to go? If you go to dot, dot com, Great. you're going to go into the woodworking uh, factories. But no, <laughs> that's a little bit different. And, and yeah. you look at some of the atrocities performed by Japan during World War II and author Kenneth James Moore. Thank you so much for spending time with us tonight on KMOX and bringing some history to the audience. Thank you. Okay, my pleasure. Thank you. And he joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line. It's going to be a lot of news hitting through the overnight. I guess Congress has been pretty busy the last few hours which has been a little bit difficult to uh, keep up on top of, but I'm starting to see some of the Twitter feeds posting some of the news, the things that they're passing through. And it's unfortunate because we were going to have a guest on to talk about uh, one of the big ones, the election reform bill, the HR one, which looks like has now passed the house, which will go to the Senate and the guest that we were going to have on, uh, we couldn't get a hold of him. So maybe we'll try to reschedule it, but let me just give a programming note. So everyone knows, Tomorrow, uh, we're going to replay my Robert Highland radio documentary. It's a two-hour documentary looking back at the former KMOX general manager dating back to the 50s all the way to the early 90s when he passed away. 
just really a mastermind when it comes to the talk radio format, the first to launch it here at KMOX and making KMOX such a significant radio station in the country and in radio history even. And he um, passed away in 1992 on March 5th. So tomorrow night, I thought, in honor of Robert Highland, let's re-air the documentary. And we'll do that in the last couple of hours of the show tomorrow night. If it's been a little while since you've heard it, I think you'll really enjoy re-listening to it. And you'll probably catch a few things you may have missed the first time. It's also online, too. I'm on Facebook, Ryan Wrecker Radio. You can get a link to a lot of what we talk about on there on Twitter, at Ryan Wrecker. Otherwise, enjoy the next couple of replay hours. We'll be back again tomorrow night after uh, Cardinals uh, baseball, which is kind of cool. 8 o'clock, roughly. We'll see you. Have a good night. Bye. With the lonely rain Wishing I could see your face again Change the dial on the radio Find something playing kind of bluesy and slow If things were only like they used to be We'd be lying in love tonight I wish you'd call me on the telephone set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.